We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello, you chasers of excellence. Patrick here with a very quick introduction to this week's show. We are uh, borrowing a conversation that Ben had recently with uh, Peter White. Peter is a CrossFitter, an all-around good dude, and the host of a show called Coffee, Pods, and Wads, in which he interviews athletes, coaches, uh, owners, thought leaders, creatives inside the space, inside the CrossFit space. Highly, highly recommend you check out his show. You can find it wherever you are listening to this coffee pods and wads and uh, find him on Instagram as well. Just search for coffee pods and wads and you will find him. Thank you to Peter uh, for this conversation and for being cool with us sharing it here on Chasing Excellence. Without further ado, here is Ben and Peter. It's really cool to talk to you. This is, uh, this is, <laughs> it's one of those I thought would never happen. Um, where I suppose, like I said, I kind of started writing questions thinking, oh, maybe someday, but you kind of assume like, nah, it's probably not going to happen. Um, so this is very exciting. Um, we've an awful lot to cover <laughs> because I, like I said, I started writing questions before I knew this was going to happen. And then, you know, when you start something that doesn't have an end, <laughs> it kind of snowballs into like, right. So that's about six hours of questions there that I've written down and you know maybe I need to whittle that down a bit um so I suppose I should start by thanking you for coming on um I really appreciate you taking the time out um and I mentioned just before we started recording I mentioned how odd it was seeing the background and it was the same when I talked when I interviewed uh Patrick it was the same where I was like I'm so used to seeing this background in like content he puts out content you guys put out it's really odd it's like um it's kind of what it feels like i think and you probably get this a lot because you're so well known in the sport where when you meet someone and they feel like they know you or they feel like you're like mates and you're like no we've literally never engaged before <laughs> is that something that you've like avoided do you think or do, uh, have you had that moment where someone's talking to you is it and like and I suppose people know intimate details or like whatever you're willing to share anyway through like your podcast or your books or whatever and they might say like oh remember that time you said such and such a thing and you're like how the hell do they know that I think it's just it speaks to the kind of the the connected world that we live in now where it, you know, between Instagram and podcasts and <clears throat> articles blogs books whatever it may be that you know, people's lives are a lot more on display than they used to be. And hmm. I was just having a conversation with a, a potential new hire and he was just, he said the exact same thing. He's like, listen, I'm not trying to like say all the things that you say all the time, but I feel like I know you because, um, you know, I've read some of your books and list, follow you on Instagram, obviously. So yeah, but I, I, um, I think it's more so than like, I, I appreciate it in this format that, um, people feel connected and like there's already a, a, a relationship. It's weirder to me when, you know, I, I come back from a, a trip or a vacation back to the gym and people are like, um, so 
So that was awesome seeing the whales, huh? I just went to Hawaii. <laughs> and I'm like, and especially because my wife is very good at like posting um, family stuff. So that's always, that's, that part to me is always more surreal than somebody that knows me professionally through the professional platform. Cause that's, that's cool. That's not that the other part's not cool, but is it, is it hard then just like you mentioned the, the new, a potential new hire, is it hard weeding out people who say like, who echo what you say because they know that like, oh, he liked this if I say this versus who say what you want to hear because it's what they believe or be like, have you, is that a trap that you've fallen into or have you got ways of like working out? Like, no, actually they're probably yeah. just saying what I've, they've read in my book. I think that you can weed out the, like it, the genuineness pretty quickly. You know, if somebody's just regurgitating information, that's, um, uh, that's flattering, but it's not authentic. Hmm. So I think it's pretty easy to tell if like somebody purpose, not purpose, um, uh, passionately feels like that and that, you know, they're, they're following their path and this is truly something that they is a part of their, you know, personal MO as opposed to just kind of like, Oh, Ben would like it if I said this. Yeah. Um, you mentioned podcasting there and like chasing excellence is like, it's ever popular. Um, and which is I really cool. Cause I, I know you've interviewed Patrick, but that was so, it's so not our, when I started recording Chasing Excellence, it was so early on in the days of podcasts. I had never heard a podcast before I started recording a podcast. Patrick was like, hey, there's this new thing called podcasts. We should do one. And I just trust Patrick. I was like, cool, let's do it. So we sat down with a couple of microphones in the same room and started talking. And um, yeah, we've, we've, I, I'm, I, it's amazing because, you know, I'm really proud of the, of, of the few of the platforms that, I'm a part of, you know, whether it's CrossFit New England, I've been a part of, you know, CrossFit HQ, um, the games athletes, comp train. But when people reach out or I see someone on the streets or I meet people at Waterpalooza or something like that, they talk to me about the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's the thing that resonates the most. And we have something like, I don't even know the number anymore, but it's like, you know, 15, 20 million downloads, which is amazing. Same, same. No, I don't. Um, is it? Is <laughs> it, it gets hard? there? It just takes. Part of it's just a, a time game, you know. We've it's, been doing fun, it. it's fun as well, though. Like I think, I think a lot of people give up on it. I think. Well, it comes back to what you were saying about the the uh, knowing when someone is is like passionately believing something. I think when, like, I had someone message me the other day, who's who runs a podcast, and they said you know, when did you start yours? And I said, oh, like December 19. Um, and I was like, that's a, the, I was kind of struck by the um, abruptness of the question. I was like, there's a follow-up coming to this question. And they were like, uh, how long did it take before you noticed growth? And I was like, oh, I mean, it depends how you define growth. Like I'm still like tiny compared to what's All out right. there. Like, you know, and I sent back, you know, you can do like a, a cumulative graph or whatever on some some of the feeds that you that you can use so i sent back a picture of it and i was like it's still happening Do you know like it's still i'm i'm not where i think it can go but i'm further along than i was i was like it, it, you know how you is a hundred listeners like a thousand like what, what's growth to you like you right. know 
and I said like it's still happening I still wouldn't call it big I still but I just kind of think there's there's a lot of people who give up either never getting to the point where they're allowing themselves to enjoy it or they give up for the wrong reasons like they give up because or maybe they started for the wrong reasons because they thought it was going to be like free stuff coming in the post or in the mail every week or they thought they were going to get invited to loads of stuff like or that they'd be instantly famous or popular or whatever but i just think it's funny that you say how many how many downloads there are and that how long you've been doing it for and from what it started from it's very similar for me where it was just kind of like okay i'll just I'll do it and see what happens. And then it kind of just snowballs. But yeah, I think it, it echoes what you were saying about the, the right reasons thing like that. It, the wrong reasons, the foundation is just going to crumble eventually. Yeah. I think that, you know, the reason, the why, the purpose, all that is always the driving factor for, I should say always, uh, most of the time has a massive impact in the success of people's efforts and endeavors. And from the beginning, our thing was just to, um, you know, share some of the things, share some of the things that we were doing at the time. That's yeah. really what it's, it came down to is we had been, I've been in the CrossFit space for a while. Um, you know, kind of started in the, the early kind of like the, the, for, for the first few years of the sport. So, um, started in 2006, affiliate in 2007, 2009 was the the first CrossFit games we went to, and I've been to every game since. Um, and by 2015, 16, we just wanted to share some of the things that we had picked up along the way, some of the mistakes we were making, and that's um, that was really our our purpose. We we still have yet to monetize it. We've never taken an ad dollar at all because it's that wasn't the purpose. We weren't there to try to get, as you said, get people to send you free stuff, try to become invited to events or whatever the other reasons are people start podcasts. We did it really authentically to share, to, to talk about some of the things that we were doing. So we yeah. never kind of, I think when you have that, uh, that common thread, that common purpose, um, or maybe it's not common, the clear purpose in terms of what you're doing, um, it it allows for some consistency and consistency over time done with some meaning behind it, you know, hopefully resonates. And that's just all it is, is, you know, in the early days, it's kind of, I just, I just released a new book too. And I was talking with my co-author about it and we were talking about um, how it was doing and it, it's doing great. It's a, you know, it was an Amazon bestseller, which was awesome. And, but we were talking about, you know, how, more people talk to us about our first book than they do about our second book, even though the first book was released in 2017, it's five years old. This new book should be way more um, timely, way more prevalent. And I, I had the conversation with her. I was like, hey, just the, it takes time. Like nobody, when we launched our first book, no one talked about with me that, that first book, no, they weren't, it wasn't a, a, a part of the conversation for about two or three years. Hmm. And then it became this thing that, you know, I've read Chasing Excellence. I've done, you know, and it's it's one of those things that I really do think building platforms like this, like podcasts, like um, being an author, whether like becoming a photographer, like um, being Insta famous, whatever. Time is as big of a factor as anything else. 
And I know everybody wants the instant gratification of you put it, you because they all see the stories like, you know, 50,000 followers in 50 days. And that's not, I don't, I don't think that's a way to, to grow something of true meaning and purpose. That might be the flash in the pan, what's really hot. If you're getting there, it's probably because, you know, you had some, you know, you, you, you were caught, you know, dancing on the beach and a wave took you out. Like one of those things that like, one of those things that just like just hits once, but like the slow drip, 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 drip. It takes a while. And I know this from the gym and the, the comp train side of things as well. It takes a while because people need to see the consistency of messaging. And when the consistency of messaging is there, then all of a sudden it's the thing like, oh, this is truly what this stands for. This is what this is about. I can get behind this. I can trust this. If it's just the quick hitter, you're looking for the next flashy thing. And the next flashy thing may or may not come and it may or may not help. It might seem like it helps because it gets you the next 25,000 followers, but they're not the followers for the right reason. And now all of a sudden your churn rate is super high. And it's why I think that time time is one of the biggest components to platform building. Um, is it hard to like stay fresh with the podcast and to stay, cause like you've obviously covered so many topics and so many areas and so many areas that the two of you are passionate about. And like, you know, I guess there's a, there's a, a common thread between the two of you and how you view things and how you do things. So is it hard to, like to not just go over all ground and not yeah. just to rehash things. Uh, it's so funny. So we record like every week and I can remember recording our second one. We did the first one on like, I don't know, it was like nutrition or something. And the next one was like how to do well in the open. And we got done and we're like, now what do we talk about? <laughs> well, that's everything. <laughs> that's everything. We covered it. Like that's the end of it. But what we've done, it, yeah. So the answer to that is yes and no. Like, if I was to think about what are we going to talk about for the next 50 episodes, I would have no idea. I just would, I could come up with, hmm. I, I have a hard time coming up with the next one until it's time to do the next one. And it's there because we're constantly learning. We're constantly growing. We're constantly evolving. So the next iteration of who we are that we can present to the world is there. It's just that I don't know what I could present next year at this time because I don't know then. I don't have that experience. So that's the first part of it. The next part is we have a pretty broad topic base on the on the podcast because we t- and in the beginning we really did set we really did go like, okay, we're gonna do one on this, we're gonna do one on this, and we would loop through the five different things. One was um CrossFit as a competition. One was overall fitness, another was nutrition, another was parenting, another was entrepreneurship, another was basically overall life type thing, which, okay, so it's everything. But we went through that kind of like sequence and we fell into a couple other cool little formats, you know, that ask, you know, it's a form of ask me anything, but it's a two minute drill to these hopper talks, Mm. um, um, to the three by three. And as we went to those ones, which was super cool the audience started reaching out with questions. And once that happens, they're giving us the talking points. 
because they reach out and go, oh, okay, that'd be a great one for a three by three. That'd be a great one for a hopper talk. That'd be a great for a two minute drill. We could do a whole episode on that one. So now it's like, it's a form of, um, what do they call it? Like when you, op- it's open source. Mm. It's our content is open sourced where our users are actually directing what it is we're having it talking about. And then every now and then, you know, maybe once every three or four episodes, I'll reach out to Patrick and be like, Hey, we should really talk about this. This is really, um, um, I've created this framework on, uh, this mental model. And then we have another guest come on. The guest comes on, we read the guest's book or whatever it is. And now that opens up a whole new avenue to other stuff. So it's funny if we were, if you asked me that question on episode five, I would go, yeah, I'm petrified. I have no idea what we're going to talk about next. But now that we're on episode, whatever it is, 300, um, it's a non-issue. It, it, they, it essentially writes itself. Hmm. Do you get nervous when you go on other podcasts or when you do your own either? Uh, sometimes. Not on my own. I never, I'm never nervous on my own. Um, sometimes when I go on other podcasts or sometimes when I have certain guests, I'll get, uh, I'm going to reframe it though and say excited. Excited. Yeah. 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 Um, and it depends on, um, usually it has to do with how much I know about the person. And if I don't know a lot, that's where I'm, I'm going to reframe it back nervous because, uh, I don't know where I don't, I don't know how to direct the conversation. Yeah. So maybe, I mean, I don't need to reframe it. It's. I am nervous if I don't know the person a lot and Patrick's, you know, does a great job, but I'm kind of like supposed to lead a lot of the conversation. Um, and then if I do know a lot about the person, um, usually I'm very excited about that because I, I love to, you know, take the discussion to the next level past what they wrote in a book or they presented on a Ted talk, or whatever it might be, or, I'm just super excited to share my insights from what I've seen with that person to our audience. Um, Because I feel like, I feel like what our podcast is essentially, it's just the gateway. It's like a gateway drug to explore other areas of excellence in your life, whether it be parenting, mental toughness, fitness, nutrition, entrepreneurship, or whatever it might be. Were you nervous going on um, Savannah's podcast? Uh, yeah, I think I was a little bit, um, but it's only because you don't know what the hell he's you know, unknown. Yeah. yeah, there's a big unknown there. He's he's he really follows across a model of unknown and unknowable. Yeah, where... so I didn't know what Savant I was going to get. We've chatted yeah. a handful of times before, but you just don't know whether you're going to get the, um, you know, the one that's going to really try to stir the pot. Um, but I after just a couple minutes of it, you know. Yeah, I think, well, you, you came across very well in it, if that's any consolation, it was an enjoyable listen. Oh, thanks. Um, the books then, so, I, I, I listened to your first one. I don't read books. <laughs> like, I don't read books at all. Um, so I listened to your first one, um, to you reading it. Uh, did you enjoy doing that? I hated it. Yeah, hated it. Awful. Hated it. Yeah. Real, and for a bunch of different reasons. Do you, you said it, so I was, I don't know where, did you say it in one of your books or something? Did you say you're dyslexic? Yes. And I, like actually I almost, dyslexic or like, I almost, oh, like, I so funny. Like, I almost like think of it as past tense. Like I was dyslexic. I definitely still am, but it was so debilitating as a kid 
and it's not debilitating now that I almost think of it as like a thing that I used to have, um, which is cool. Um, is that, have you got like, is it like coping mechanisms now? Is that what you mean? Uh, well, I just do so much more reading now that it's, it's like, I couldn't read before. Like I just couldn't. So two things with dyslexia, if it happened to me and everyone's got these different forms and it manifests itself differently for different people. The biggest thing for me was, um, when I would read, I think, and I, I used to go to these classes to help me read better. What most people do when they read is they read in chunks and they read mm. like three or four words at a time. And if you watch people's eyes, you can tell people are reading because eyes don't go like pan across. They go and then they and they jump. Eyes go like in little brackets because yeah. they're reading three or four words in a sentence, three or four words in a sentence, three or four words in a sentence. When I read, I read one word and then I read the next word. And then I read yeah. the next word. So you can never like scan. You can never be and, like, well, the hard you never know if that, you're reading a question or a statement. Until yeah, and, oh, end. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know if I'm like when I'm reading kids books to the kids, I don't know what voice to do. The tone or whatever. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the mom or the, you know, yeah. or the, or the dog or whatever it is, you know. And then the second part of that is reading out loud becomes a massive challenge because I'm reading one word and I get hung up on words. So instead of, this is also how they – it's the same thing when you're learning music. When you're learning music, it's Mary had a little lamb. And that's how you would learn on a computer, I mean on, on the piano. It's like mm. – bang, bang, you know, it's that. And then when you get good, better, it goes Mary had a yeah, yeah. little lamb. And then when you get really good, it's Mary had a little – you know, and so on. I've just never gotten – I, I've always been kind of stuck at that. The other way my mind comes up is um, if somebody gives me a bunch of numbers, um, they just flip in my I, – I can't remember phone numbers for the life of me. So if somebody's like, hey, you know, Ben, give me a call back. The number is 781-123456. You know, I'm like – I have to listen to it like five times to pl- play it back. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's why I hated reading my book because – at least um, you knew the tone that was required or you knew, you knew that it was, yeah. you know, it wasn't going to be a dog talking. It was going to be Ben. So at least that's a positive. Yeah, that, that definitely helped. Um, but then the other part of it is you're in a studio in a basement. This is where mine was anyway, in a recording studio, in a basement, windowless, just talking for, you know, it's an eight hour, you know, however long it is, a six, seven, eight hour book. Well, there's that much plus there's retakes and stops and breaks. So usually it's, I'd say it takes, you know, like two X. So I was in a basement for 16 hours, whatever it was. Jeez. Um, so that's just, it's like two days of your life kind of there. I'm, I'm going to do it for my next, the last book I just did. I just have to wait it's till like after the game, after the wait till the game <laughs> season's over. So yeah. I can, um, carve out a couple days in a basement. <laughs> um, well, I really, I, I really enjoyed the first one. Um, I think I actually said, I don't know who I said this to. I talked to Christine a bit and I don't know if I said it to her or if I said it to Patrick, but you have the voice of like a 19 An angel? year old. No, it's you have such a young <laughs> voice, like a crazy really? young voice. Yeah. You sound like if I oh, was casting, wow. a, like a young lifeguard in an animated movie. <laughs> It's like that, like, it's like, just, it's like the un, unpainted. Kids, get out of the water. Yeah, of the water. exactly. Adult but swim like, time. Yeah, and 
you expect him to be the hero of the story, but then he just kind of doesn't really feature that much or something. That there's a different, there's a more like I don't know a different, I don't know. So something happens there. I'm, I'm not quite sure in the details yet, but I'll circle back on it. Um. So yeah, I uh, no, I really enjoyed it. I think I think the reason I enjoyed the first one so much was because I knew all the players. I knew yeah the people, yeah. and I knew. The I suppose I, yeah i knew what happened yeah but then it right. was like i was peeking you get to behind the curtain. yeah and I, yeah. but i was getting like details that i shouldn't have had do you know what i mean it's kind of felt yeah. like oh i'm in on something here like i'm being told like i'm privy to a conversation that i wouldn't have ever otherwise heard or whatever but those are um, the best. i love those stories right like i love the ones that uh like football ones in the dressing room. Yes. Where exactly. like, like you I should like, not be allowed to know what was said at halftime in a game. It's so cool, are. right? Where they yeah. replay a whole season and you get the behind the scenes look and like you yeah. hear the players mic'd up. And that's, that's why that all or nothing is so. Yeah, I, I find it more entertaining than the games themselves where the games yeah. are completely unknown and there's suspense and who's going to win. It's, it's that it's drive to survive. It's like it, I could not give a shit right. about Formula One. I'm not going right. to watch a race. But, but that series, amazing. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that guy's a fucking asshole. They can, like, also, you know, they like... can also store, they can also, I don't want to say manufacture, but that's what they're creating the story. You know, yeah, when you're just watching the sports, you're just watching yeah. from a 10,000 foot view, this thing unfold and you don't get to, there's no, um, I should say there's limited emotion there's limited introspection there's limited storytelling you know the announcers try to do as best they can mm. um but you don't get it the way you do it when you do these like drive to survive things yeah. that drive to survive is they do such a good job with that apparently they're doing a golf one and oh, if they really don't cool. call it drive to survive i will be so uh, disgusted <laughs> they should do a putt to survive yeah um but i think i think like sport i think that's why people love sports so much though is because of like especially like say crossfit where like say my father-in-law is just he's crazy about sport like he loves golf he loves like soccer everything rugby like he's he'll cry watching you know like fairly insignificant events occur like um but i remember during the first lockdown like we we are into cross and he's a really good dad like he's really he wants to like everything that his kids and that you know he just wants to know what they like and then find a way to find a common That's ground great. or whatever um so we like crossfit obviously myself and my wife and he i remember we were at the games we went on a holiday and i remember him like asking questions and i was like god i really want to be like that like when my kids are growing up that mm -hmm. i actually know what they're talking about instead of being like oh what youtuber and you know like kind of brushing it off um but during the first lockdown he i i said i was doing an, an interview with phil heskett and i was like oh i'm interviewing he's like any interviews coming up and i was like oh phil heskett and he was like oh um 2015 i was like what how the fuck did very you know that? cool and he was like, oh, yeah, I just watched the live stream. Off. So he watched the whole, whatever, eight-hour YouTube video. You know where you have to, like, skip ahead because it's yeah. just, like, the dead scene. He, like, watched, like, five years of it over lockdown because he was like, oh, I have nothing else to do. There's no sport on. So I just went back and watched. Super so, cool. Like, yeah, but he, he now, I think, really likes, like, he's as invested in it as I think the rest of us because he's, like, he knows who Tia is. He knows. Yeah. And I think CrossFit is kind of, 
it's kind of got a leg up on other sports where it's at that drive to survive stage where because it's small and because it's like community driven, if you're interested in the sport of CrossFit, say, you know who everyone is. And if you don't, you'll find out pretty quickly. And it's so easy and they're so uh, like, they share so much. And they're, they're like compared to say, if you go onto Cristiano Ronaldo's Instagram, you're not really going to get that much information there. You're right. not going to see that much of him only like really what he wants you to see. Whereas if you go to like, you know, Catherine's Instagram, you're going to see her daily training, her, you're having a laugh, like having a joke and stuff. I think, I think CrossFit really, like when people talk about the potential of the sport, I think that's where a lot of it lies. Yeah. I think that it's a really good insight. And I think it stems from the fact that CrossFit was built virtually on, on, um, on a virtual platform. It was back in the, you know, the early days of when these types of things were taken off, you know, 2004 or five, whatever it was, it it was on the web and everything else was on the TV and TV was not TV like it is now where you have all these behind the scenes things. There was just network programming. So it was, here's friends, here's Seinfeld's, here's ER and here's um, the soccer game, you know, and that's all you got. And CrossFit was built on a, on a virtual platform. So the virality of it, like it just spread really fast. And then second is the access to the athletes became so big because that was our medium. We were social media. Like that's yeah. where we lived. We were on the blogs. We were on the forums, which then turned into um, Facebook and Instagram. And now we're definitely an Instagram biased platform. And the second aspect of that is our athletes aren't getting the seven figure contracts with mm-hmm. Nike, with Gatorade, with whatever it might be. So they're forced to build their own platforms. And when they build their own platforms, the best way to do that is be authentic and share. And you need to have content. And it can't just be a picture of Ronaldo with a soccer ball, you know, you know, saying, you know, like buy my underpants. <laughs> 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 Whatever it is, I don't follow Ronaldo, so I, I got stumped there. But yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and it's it's a little bit more. It, it's a little more of an it, like it's just the nature of our sport and our athletes is there's uh, more of a of the curtains been pulled back a quite a bit more. You know, mm. here is my training. Here is how I'm eating. Here's you get to know the personality of the people a lot better. You know, way mm. more so than as you said than you know a lot of the other professional athletes. Um. Well, I, I can't give you a bigger compliment than this. I don't think. I actually did read the second one. Oh, wow. So that's that's a big compliment. Um, and I left a review on Amazon as well, which Christine was delighted with. Um, so I, I made a commitment to myself this year, which I'm already flagging on a bit, um, to read 12 books because I don't read. and I hate reading. And I'm a teacher, so I should, and I'm always saying to kids like, Oh, it's so important. Like it's, you know, reading, oh, it's really up there. Um, but I actually, I think the reason I wanted to do it was because I'm like reading stories with my daughter is like two and she apps just adores being read to. Mm. And I'm like, I must've been like that at some point. Like I must've enjoyed like reading and being read to and stuff at some point. So I don't know where it went or what happened. I'd say it's because you know, in school, you're told you have to read this book for this exam or whatever. So I'd say it's something to do with that, but I don't know. So I said, I'll read a book a year. Um, so I read yours. Um, that was the first one I read and I really liked it. And I like a 
a few a little bit into it, I was like, oh, am I gonna like this? Because I don't know any of the people. Like I don't know it's not the people it's not like chasing excellence. It's not like Matt, you know, like yeah. am I is this am I gonna lose interest? And it like I found it um like heavier like I kinda had to wade through it a bit more because it wasn't as uh I suppose singular story driven, if you know what I mean. Like there was kind of it, it it's like a it's like a manual or a guide almost yeah. whereas like chasing excellent was was more of a story um but okay i loved it all right i have to ask before we start talking about the book it's month number four how many books have you read you don't really have to ask that no i've read um i'm actually reading a book now that patrick recommended because i sent out a weekly email <laughs> uh, last week's one i was like if anyone has a pamphlet that will qualify as a book <laughs> because i'm falling behind can they send it to me and he sent me he was like here's a really short book and i was like okay so i just bought it straight away it came what was post. it um oh fuck, what's the name of it um uh war of art oh yeah um yeah uh, he was by, like, uh stephen pressfield yeah he was like yeah. really short Good. book i yep. was like excellent took it out of the package i was like this is pretty thick but i was like okay i was like his short and my short are very different um because um, i'm on one, the like I, i'm gonna try and read 10 pages a night like that's my level of oh that's consistent no, you know what that's I mean? really like good that. no 10 pages a night is awesome oh yeah but then i only do it like twice a week because oh, okay, <laughs> like my kid is awake or what you know like whatever you know happens. what i just read to my kids last night it, it took me two nights to read to my kids is and it's a good book um I read it before I read it to my kids and it's not a kid's book, but, um, is who moved my cheese. Okay. Have you ever read that? No. Okay. That's one you can, you can, you can name pretty much any book apart from <laughs> unlocking potential. And has, have you read that? The answer would be no. <laughs> uh, you should get that one. Cause that would, you okay. could, you could read that one in, in two nights and that'd be easy to check off your list. I, I remember in college we had an exam, um, and we had to read, uh it was actually a play that we had to read and i was like ah, no uh so i winged it and i got like a b in the exam and i remember then being like i literally never need to read I don't, again i don't I'm need fine. to read yeah yeah i can just wing it <laughs> that That's was fine. the moment yeah um okay so i really uh, sorry what number am i on um i've read like three and a bit okay so you're, you're I'm on behind, track behind but i'm no yeah you, you, got, you have because January, February, March. You're supposed to have three done right now. Yeah. You're on what, track. You have you have a few more weeks to finish book number four. Yeah, but I haven't started book number four really. So get, who moved my cheese, man? It's like yeah. you'll read it, you could read it in an hour and a half, the whole thing. Not even. An hour. Okay. With yeah, okay. I'll 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 get it. Um yeah, I really liked the book. And I thought like I said, I was wary. I was kind of concerned when I started flicking through it and being like, who are these people that he's talking about? I don't know, like this, you know, random employee as far as I'm concerned. Um <laughs> I absolutely loved it in the end. Um and I flip and hated it as well because it made me despise so many people that I've worked with or under or like people in management or people in leadership roles. And you're kind of like, it's so frustrating when you see, like, when, like there's, there's nothing like when I was reading it, there was nothing of, you know, Oh my God, I never thought of a leader that way. Or, Oh my God, I never thought that, you know, 
it never occurred to me that that's how a leader should behave or act or like uh, try to get people to do things or try to get people to emulate or whatever. And like there was nothing groundbreaking in that sense. Like the 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 tips are like they're the groundbreaking part, I suppose, or the framing of it is a groundbreaking yeah. part. But like I said, I'm a teacher. I work in a school, and like my god like when you're reading the book it just made me like if my eyes could roll any further when i'm at in a meeting or get an email or have a conversation and it's like you're like how can i tell someone to read this book without telling them that they're shit at managing humans like that like you know when you're having a conversation with someone and you're like can you hear yourself like what you're saying and then then when you're reading this book it just kind of it's like it takes a highlighter and just says like look at look at that thing that that person just said or did and like think about let's like just just compare that to say the pinnacle of it and how f- like the gap between yeah. so i i wanted to say thank you for writing it and uh i've said it to christine already that i enjoyed it um and also like f you for making me despise the people that that i work under at work well, that's, that was like one of the ideas behind it was try to make it so leadership, as you said, like there's nothing new that's coming out about you know what what a good what makes up a good leader. Everyone knows those things, right? It's connecting with people, it's being trustworthy, it's inspiring, it's all the it's all the normal blah blah blahs, and everyone goes, "Yep, either I got those, or yep, this person has it, or yep, they're missing that." But what we wanted to do with it was twofold: was to create a framework. So how do you actually beyond the character traits? Cause the character traits matter. It's the most important part after the character traits, what is the framework of leadership? Like how do you actually structure it? And that's what we did. We broke it down a bunch of different ways, you know, from how do you actually make culture actionable to sharing a vision actionable and then hold people accountable, actionable. And then the next part is to try to really highlight through the real nuanced words and actions and behaviors that people take. So to your point, when you see someone that doesn't communicate in line with this, you go, oh my gosh, now I have the framework for why this doesn't feel good because they're sending me out of a flow state into a state of anxiety, which is hindering my production and making me a worse employee because they said those words in that order. So it's very systematic and prescriptive at the same time saying, this is how to communicate. This is how to manage. This is how to lead in order to allow people to have, I'm going to use it in order to, in order to unlock people's potential because everyone's got this innate ability, this inborn um, capacity that is being stifled all the time by leaders. And if people were allowed to just not, I don't want to say set free because that's not the right thing, but given the right guidance and framework to allow their interests, their passions, their talents to ooze out of them, we'd all be a whole lot further along. We'd all love our work a whole lot more. You know, I, I think it's cool that, you know, it's, it's cool when people can recognize, wow, that person's a really strong leader. I think that's easier than recognizing why that person is not, why another person is not a mm. strong leader. And if that's what it highlighted, you know, for you, then that's, you know, I'll take that for sure. That's cool. Yeah. 
I've got like an internal list <laughs> for like for my boss to be like some you know like so like someday when I'm when I know like I'm either financially stable, my mortgage is paid <laughs> off, or I'm leaving, I'll be like, I've written a list. I started writing it four years ago or whatever. I just like hand it over. That's um, amazing. When you were writing that then, like so one of the things that you talk about a lot is trust. Um, and I kind of like, I suppose there's a, the, the thread of the book runs through a lot of my questions, I suppose, because when I was thinking of conversation topics, I was reading the book. So there's kind of like, you know, there's a, a parallel there, I guess. Um, like you must have had so much trust with Christine to be like, A, like, let's, I, I know, cause I know I heard the story from her about how she kind of came on board, uh, you know, a bit through the stage of the, or the phase of the first book, let's say. So obviously there's a lot of trust there where you're kind of handing over something that you're trying to do. And I suppose like are learning as you go when you're doing it. Um, but then that trust has to be built on then to be like, right, let's do it again. And let's be more, I suppose, like, I don't know, more deliberate or more specific in what we're saying, or, you know, like that, like you say, it's a framework, like it's a, it's like a checklist basically of like what you need to do. Um, like, is that, is that trust? Is that because you both believe in the same things and are, like, is it like buy-in that gets you there? Yeah. So we, we kind of talk about this in the book. Um, I, um, I hate, I don't believe in the word buy-in because buy-in to me is like, I have to convince you of something. And now are you bought into it? Um, I'm, I'm a huge believer in co-creation. So if we are creating something together, now you automatically, forget about buying, you're in. Like you're just, we're doing this thing together. And I, I, I'm inherently a, 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 a trusting person. So I think that's just the nature is I extend a lot of trust. And then if the person comes through, then we have it. There's a trusting relationship there. So with the first book, um, you know, I don't want to say, it's not, a, it's not an easy process to write a book with somebody else at all. And we had, um, the first one, we didn't know the process because it was both of our first time ever doing it. So it felt a lot, um, Um, there's a lot more bumps along the way mm. that we had to navigate. And the second time we just understood that it was part of the process. So the second time we almost wrote the whole book and then scrapped it and basically started, we did that two times. And then finally we came up with, cause when you start it, you think that you have, this is our message. And that this is the way that we're going to tell it. And this is going to be the framework. And this is going to be the leaping off points for it. And then you go, well, maybe it's, this is the framework and it's not quite that. So it wasn't the type of thing where it was like, we had it all built out. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, what the software industry would call like build, measure, learn. And it's the iterative process of getting to an end state, not Let's map it all out, make it exactly perfect, and then do it exactly according to the plan. It's not like how you would build an automobile. You build an automobile, you're not making it up as you go along. But the way you run a business, the way you run your family, the way you write a book, 
That is the way you launch software. That is an iterative process where you create something and you go, okay, how can we tweak this? How can we make this better? I know more now. I know what the, the way this is going to go. And we kind of layer upon it and you move it together. And the second time Christine and I both understood that that was the process. So it made, you know, the trust kind of, it was, um, I don't want to say it was a non-issue because you still, you get done with the introduction in the first two chapters. And I'm like, this, this sucks. <laughs> this is not good. This is not what I, this is not the book I want to write. This is not the stories I want to tell. This is not uh, the message and the lessons. Uh, this isn't even the tone I want to use at all. Hmm. And Christine is, you know, having been through it, and there's so much trust between us. It's just cool. It's just we understood it as part of the process. Hmm. The, I think we had a, a a head start on that because the first time I wrote the book with her, as you said, she came in halfway through the process. I'd already done two drafts with two other people. And the first one was written. I was like, this sucks. This is what I want to do. And we did it again. I was like, this still isn't it. And I was like, Christine, let's take a crack at this. So we were kind of, um, you know, we, we were halfway through the drive um, already. So we, we just knew the next time we did it, we were going to have to go through that together. Hmm. I think it's interesting as well because the first one, I think, um the first one humanized a lot of people that like i said like kind of pulled the curtain back on a few people and conversations and stuff like that whereas i think the second one uses humans to show what should be done do you know what i mean like it's people mm. who like anyone not everyone can win the crossfit games like not everyone can will have the same level of determination, drive, like work ethic, belief, all that kind of stuff, be willing to put in the hours, be willing to like, you know, lock themselves in a basement and train or whatever. But like anyone could get a job as, or at, well, anyone could be a coach. Anyone could get coaching credentials, you know, within reason. So I think it, the second book is more approachable in that way where you're kind of like, well, shit, that could be me. Like, you're never going to look at Matt Fraser winning the games thinking, shit, that could be me. Like very few people are going to, unless they're deluded, very few people are going to believe that. Whereas, you know, anyone, realistically anyway, anyone could say, I'm going to be a coach or I want to coach people. I want to help people. I I could apply for that job in that gym and have a decent chance of getting it. So I think, I think that was part it was something that when I opened the book first, I was like, oh God, am I going to like this? Like, I don't know who these people are. But by the end of it, I was like, you know, fully bought into the fact that like, they were just like me as opposed to elite athletes that I was kind of getting to know. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, it's a, the second book is basically, it's the idea is it's a book about leadership and everyone's going to be a leader at some point. You know, whether you're a mom or a dad, whether you're, um, part of a volunteer organization, whether you um, are a manager or in a leader's position in your business or you own your own business, um, everybody at some point has a, has, has a leadership position. And mm. I struggled with leadership massively when I first became, you know, a business owner. It was something I, I loved coaching, but I hated managing. I hated that aspect. I loved being in front of a group and walking people through 
thrusters and pull-ups and talking about nutrition and mindset. But I could I I I was so reluctant to delegate responsibilities to at the time was my friends because that's what I thought like I was it's peer to peer. So I own this gym, but I have these coaches and I was like I just don't want them to dis- dislike me. I don't want them to think I'm bossy. <laughs> so man, I had to learn a lot, you know, before I felt like um I was a competent leader, let alone um you know, somebody that felt comfortable and confident with their leadership. Just the competence took probably close to a decade. You know, I I started running the business in 2007 and it wasn't until probably 16 or 17, I started acting like a leader. Um, in the last five years, it's been really reformed or reformed, refined. Um, Mm. but I, I, the, the message there is that you, you don't have to be born as one of these gregarious, like I love be the spotlight and I love leading. And I always saw myself as, you know, I want to be in the military a lot when I was a kid. Cause I, I love taking, you know, I could take orders really well. Mm-hmm. It's, and I love being that just tell me what to do and I'll go and crush it. Um, and that's not the job of a leader. The leader is the opposite is figure out what's the most important thing to do communicate that in a way that people are inspired to do it to the best of their ability. Hmm. And that's, that's a whole different challenge and a different skill set that has to be trained, practiced and learned and not just, you know, not everyone's the lucky few that just wakes up and like is the inspiring leader. Hmm. Um, one of the uh, kind of threads, I guess, through the book is like the kind of branding or the kind of, I suppose it was like everything was kind of under one umbrella and then everything was kind of separated out. Like you had CrossFit New England and CompTrain and, you know, like it kind of was all muddled together and then separated. And then I don't know, there was like times where it's like, you just kind of didn't seem happy with what was like, it wasn't finished. Like it didn't feel right or something. Is that something that is that still ongoing? Do you think, or is that something that will ever end? Uh, so I don't think it'll ever, I don't think anybody has, uh, is in business of any sort feels like it will ever end. I think that's the nature and the, the amazing aspect of business. I, I take that to every aspect. I, I even think that in terms of my athletes' careers. I just don't think that they end. I think that they just they move on to the next thing and they carry the lessons from this on to the next one. But particularly in business, it's, you know, Simon Sinek has, has coined it like the infinite versus the finite game. And those that live a, a finite game believe that, that the business ends at a certain fiscal or yearly point and they go, okay, Here's our market share. Here's our revenue. Here's our, and we figure out how well we did. But I think that um, it never ends. And to your point, to, to what the story is you're telling there is we, we started CrossFit New England. We had a lot of success on the competitive side, started CompTrain as a way to speak to the competitive athletes in the space. CrossFit New England became uh, – um, the place that we were able to do the thing in person, it was where we had the one-on-one relationships. We ran classes and we were really able to affect 300, 400 lives in a meet really meaningful, impactful way. Both they felt it and we felt it back because it was truly that in-person thing. CompTrain was on the subscription side. Um, it was done through a third-party platform and then we created our own app. So less 
um, it's less like real life interaction, but a lot more potential to talk to a lot more people because it was, it's essentially infinitely scalable along the way we kind of came to this crossroads of like, is this one business? Is this two businesses? And then we had another party per, person we were working with who was running the overall business at the time who was like, no, Ben Bergeron is the thing we should be pushing forward and trying to get him to be, you know, on the, the speaking tours and writing books and podcasts. And um, so there's a lot of confusion in terms of the vision of what we were creating. And that's something that we um, have spent the last year really um, working on. And for the first time, I feel very good and very confident in the direction that we're headed. Um, we haven't really brought that to the world yet. So the world just still knows us as CrossFit England, Ben Bergeron, and CompTrain as three different heads of the same monster. But um, there is this, you know, massive overlap and interaction because before we go, okay, the people in the gym, they follow this, they are this demographic. They have these character traits. They have this. And then the people that listen to the podcast are this and the competitors that do comp train are this. And what we found is this massive overlap of one customer, um, one methodology, one voice, one way that we can speak to everyone about. And that's um, what we're super excited to, to kind of bring to, you know, that we're working on revamping the entire, you're actually the first person I've talked to about this. Um, Exciting. So we're, we're working to kind of bring that new um, message and methodology to, to everyone in the next few months. Is it still going to be like, CompTrain will still be a thing. Yeah, so CompTrain is still a thing. And um, CompTrain is essentially the parent company of the whole thing. Okay. So CompTrain is um, it's essentially a platform for people to become the best versions of themselves, really leaning into the physical performance side of things. But what we believe, and anyone listens to the podcast, this is knows that we really drive that through five different factors. And it is how people think, how people eat, how people sleep, how people move, and how people connect. Connect both with their bodies, their breath, with each other, with nature, all that stuff. So what we're really trying to do is give people the people that want to, the people that are trying to choose the hard but better way. It's the people that aren't looking for the easy path. It's not the people that just give me a pill. It's not the people that just want the six minute abs. It's not people looking for shortcuts. It's we're comp train. It's the training. Like the training is hard. No, no, but whether it's breath work sessions, whether it's a yoga session or it's a CrossFit session, training is hard. It's way harder than sitting and watching the next Netflix episode. You choosing to eat clean and eat light is way harder than indulging and eating the crap. Like it's harder. Like no questions about it. So we have a real good understanding of what the mental makeup of our end user is. And it's somebody that's raising their hand saying, I'm willing to do the work. I will do the work. Guide me. Like, let me know what it is I should do today. And most people are falling short in one of those categories. 
They might be killing it in the gym, but their nutrition is off. They might be killing it in the kitchen, but the sleep is off. They might be killing it in the sleep, but they're eating themselves up and judging themselves over and over again and living with fear and anxiety in their mental place is a makeup. They might be super confident. They might be all of that, but they haven't worked on the, the breath work aspect of things. They're not maximizing the respiratory system. So there's a lot. We want to bring this complete aspect to the training. That's what comp train is. It's a complete training pl platform for people that are raising their hand saying like, give me the hard work. I know this can be hard, but I want to do the work to live my best life because I know that this is the foundation of everything else, whether it's me being a better dad, a better business person, a better um, philanthropic for charity, or it's a better whatever it is. I want, I know it starts with my health. I cannot fill from an empty cup. I must become the best version of myself before I can help others. And if we want to, as a collective whole, make this world a better place, it starts with patient zero, which is you. You know, it's a whole think globally, act locally. Well, not even locally. Start with yourself. Be the change you want to see in the world. And in order to do that, there's a lot of ways you can do that, a whole bunch of ways. You could give to charity. You could go work you know, in so many meaningful, impactful ways. But if you don't have health, you can't do those things. And health and performance, everyone talks about those two different things. When you see your health, you think like wellness and longevity and uh, you know, like so for some reason, it's like white and green imagery. <laughs> you think of performance, it's like hardcore, it's athletics, it's inside the lines, it's in the arena, and it's much more hardcore imagery. It's like black and white or something like that. Health and performance are two sides of the exact same coin. All that health is, is performance across your life. Health is nothing more than the ability to perform. I don't need to know your biomarkers. If you can run a six minute mile at age 85, like I, I, you just don't have to tell me what your triglycerides are. I don't need to know it. If you're still playing 18 holes of golf at 102, I don't need to know what your blood pressure is. Like I don't need to know traditional health markers. Just tell me what your performance is. Now, if your performance is off, let's dive into some of the health markers because those are telltales of what we can work on. The flip side of that is, Health is nothing more than performance across your lifespan. Performance, you can't have ultimate performance without ultimate health. If you're trying to be the fittest person in the world, but you have a low immune system, you're sick all the time, you, aren't, you can't perform at your peak because you're missing training days. You're putting an imaginary ceiling on your performance. So we need those two things to basically go up at the same time. People are like, no, no, no. CrossFit Games athletes are shooting for this super massive fitness. It's the same thing. If they go so hard on their performance that they get injured, no health, or that they knock their immune system out of whack, overtraining, no health, then they are not going to maximize their performance. It is the same thing. So what we're striving to do through the comp train platform is to give people the resources, the access the program to be able to maximize everything that they have so they can truly live out the best versions of themselves, dot, 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 to ultimately lift up other people. But I'll leave that to everyone else. What we're doing is creating the platform to lift up you.
my god that was a soundbite and a half it's amazing watching i like it so and it, it it you know you mentioned like flow and stuff a lot and finding a state of flow in your book but it's amazing watching someone who's like passionate to their core about something just wax lyrical on it i like like it's it's I think even when you, even if you're not like I agree with everything you're saying there, but I even think if I didn't agree with everything you're saying and I was listening to you talk like that, I'd still be like, find me the nearest wall. I'm going to run through it. Like, you, know, <laughs> you just get to like, amped. Um, <clears throat> I mentioned there finding flow. Um, and one of the things you mentioned that like, basically you kind of sum up your job with say that the, the elite group of athletes that you have is, to get the group there, like to get the motoring and to get them into a position where they can find flow in, in, a, you know, as regular a, an occurrence as possible. And I was curious, like, we'll say when a new athlete is coming in, so say when, when Chandler is coming in, um, that was like big news. And that was a big, like, he's a very well-known athlete. He's popular. He's, he's got a, like a, He's got a big personality, you know, like from, from what I've seen anyway. Um, like, is there any kind of wariness about bringing someone in? Because I, like, you know, you hear about that upsetting the apple cart and it's kind of, is shared goals enough? Is the, is the fact that he wants to be the best version of himself and, and like in, a, in an ideal world that culminates in him winning the games and that's the same, you know, or a similar goal to the other athletes that you have, is that enough? Or is there any kind of trepidation of bringing someone in of being like, Oh man, what if this messes up all the stuff that we've built? Yeah. There's always massive trepidation. And that's why we try to vet them as much as possible to see if they would be the right fit. The shared goals is definitely not enough. That would be the same way of saying like, um, if we're going to hire somebody for cop train because they are passionate about, um, bringing this message to the world, that's enough. Like, come on board. But somebody, you know, one bad apple can certainly spoil the whole bunch. And we have to be mm -hmm. very cautious of that because what we're constantly trying to do is, as you just said, is get people into as much of a flow state as possible. If people train in a flow state, they're going to get the most out of them. That's truly the way you truly unlock potential is to get people into this. For people that are familiar with this, it's also been called like being in the zone. Um, but it's essentially this, this mental place where – Things just flow out of you. That's why it's called a flow state. If you, everyone's experienced this some way, where if you're a musician, I know you have because it's when it's just like it just flows out of you. Um, you know, you just said like when I was just talking, it was cool to see that. It's when you're watching any performer and you know that they're just totally absorbed in the moment, it's like completely absorbed in that actual moment, and they're just their best is just coming out of them. It's captivating. It's hard to turn away from somebody in a flow state, no matter what they're doing. If it's painting, if it's street art, if it's um, um, a lecture in a college um, hall, it doesn't matter what the venue is. It's really engaging to see it happen. What we want to do is get our athletes to spend as much time there as possible. The things that distract, the things that detract people away from a flow state is – well, it's endless, but the biggest ones are anxiety, fear, stress, worry, anxiousness about something coming in the future or regret, jealousy, 
um, things that in the past they wish had gone differently. And usually those things flip flop like past to future, future to past, back and forth a lot because the reason that they're anxious about something in the future is because something in the past hasn't gone the way that they wanted to. Hmm. And they're projecting forward again. And this is where all this really popular stuff about be in the moment is. Be in the moment, it, it's ridiculous. You can't be anywhere but the moment. Like you can't be anywhere than you are right now sitting there talking to me. You can't be. It's impossible. Except your mind can wander somewhere else. And the mind is an incredibly powerful thing that when harnessed well does phenomenal stuff. Like the reason we're able to talk through this platform is because of the human mind. We created this technology to be able to have a conversation with somebody face-to-face anywhere in the world. That's so cool. The mind went hardest for one of two things is amazing. And those two things are focus and or solving problems. So if I ask you to focus on solving like uh, doing a puzzle, playing chess, reading a book, maybe not you, but somebody reading a book. (laughs) That's, that's the mind can focus very, very well. Similar, it can solve problems. Just sit down, let's work through and this problem. That's the mind is built for those two things. But when the mind doesn't have one of those two things to do, it falls to another thing, which is called chatter. And it's just this endless loop of conversations in your head. And it's going to look for things to focus on and look for things to solve. Therein lies our problem. It's just going to search for problems. And it's going to cause anxiety. It's going to cause stress, worry, doubt, fear, all those things where if we could just pull it back and live in this moment for now, and there was nothing coming down the pipeline, we'd be good. Or let's work on something that's going to come down the pipeline, but let's do it productively. I'm not saying just sit in the moment. I want you to plan for next quarter. I want you to think about what's the questions you should ask the next guest. I want you to think about how you should grow your audience. Those are problem-solving things. But when your mind's not tasked with something specific like that, it's going to find we are problem-solving machines. If we don't have the problems to solve, it's searching for them. It's going to go, well, what if my next guest isn't good? What if the next guest doesn't think I'm a good interviewer? What if if a competitor comes in the space? What if nobody wants to sponsor my podcast anymore? And now all of a sudden you get this endless loop of worry. That's not productive. That's actually going to take away from our productive applications. And what we're trying to do with our athletes is give them as much productive application in the gym as possible so they can be the best versions of themselves when they enter competition. Now, the cool part is when you do find yourself in one of those chatter, worried, anxious states, That's okay. We all spend time there. Everyone does. Elon Musk does. Bill Gates does. The Dalai Lama does. uh, um, LeBron James does. Michael Phelps does. Everyone spends time there. Matt Fraser, Catherine David Sutter, they all spend time in worry, anxiety, doubt, and fear. What we need to do is just become aware of when we're tipping over. And that's it. There's no next step. Just become aware. And when you become aware, you're recognizing triggers. And you're going, whoa, that's what caused that? Whoa, all of a sudden now, like, 
I feel anxious. I feel nervous. So if I'm going to go on someone's podcast and I start to feel that feeling in my stomach, all you need to do is become aware of that feeling. That in and of itself is essentially 80% of the journey to becoming, you fill in the blank. 80% of the way of you becoming mentally tough, happy, enlightened, a, a joyful, beautiful state, whatever it is that you want to put in that fill in the blank mad libs, that's 80% is just awareness of what's knocking you out of that state. And once you have that, then the next things are a little bit individual on how you work yourself back through it. But it's almost like you don't even have that conversation because we all still need to work so much on that 80% of just becoming more and more aware. A lot of times we don't even realize we've been knocked out of that state. And if we can recognize it, now we can do something. It's essentially like I just had this conversation with Chandler. It's the alcoholic that doesn't realize he's an alcoholic. So what they do is they try to work on all the next steps when they haven't figured out that they really truly have a problem or that every time that they drink, they go, whoa, I'm drinking right now. This is an issue. Like this is something. If I get knocked out of that beautiful state, recognize it. Recognize you've been knocked out of your beautiful state. And that's basically it. For our athletes, the more time we can spend in there, the better it is. And beautiful state doesn't mean just like sunshine and rainbows. There can be challenges there. There can be risk associated with it. There can be other things, but no, it's even it's funny. Like I had an interview recently that didn't go well. Um, and it was just one of those like I like I was talking to someone about it the other day and they were like, oh, that must be really annoying. And I was like, I mean, it is what it is. Like they probably just had a bad day or, you know, there's a, there's a litany of reasons why, because I've heard them interviewed on other things and they're great. So either they, I, maybe I said something at the beginning that rubbed them off the wrong way that I don't remember, or else they were just having a shit day and they just, you know, didn't want to be there, but were too polite to say, I don't want to do this or I need to cancel or whatever. Um, but I remember at the time being like, oh my God, like this is like, what do I do? Because it's not going yeah. the way I thought it would. And then I didn't, I didn't fix it. Like, to, it, like, to be honest, it was kind of irreparable. Like it wasn't, it just wasn't going well and it was only going to get worse. I'd say, um, did you publish and, it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I learned, see, I did that before I had an interview before and I didn't publish it and I always regretted not publishing it. Cause I was mm. like, like, fuck it, like warts and all, Do you know, like it's yeah. like yeah. if, so if, if I like my, my view on it is I'm holding a spotlight and I want to shine the spotlight on Ben Bergeron and I want Ben Bergeron to be in a position to give his the best version of version of Ben Bergeron for people to see. So when that happened and I interviewed someone and it didn't go well, I didn't publish it because I was like, they're not coming across well. And like, they're not coming across like I know they should. And like, I know they have in other times, but then afterwards I regretted it. Cause I was like, well, it's not my job to say, you know, like that the person is the person and the, they're themselves on that day. So if I don't share what they've shared with me, then am I doing my job properly or, right. you know, my, my hobby properly cool. or whatever. Um, so I, I did publish it, but it, it really knocked me off my stride for about, for, for like two episodes after it, two interviews after it, I was like, doubting everything I was asking I was like oh is that a stupid question or like oh they're gonna get pissed off me if I talk about that maybe that's gonna send that one down the tank and whatever um and it wasn't until I had an interview with someone that I'm like you know really familiar with they've been on like five times and I 
had like no notes written. I was just like, I'll be fine. I know what I'm going to talk to them about. We have a lot to cover. Chatted to them. It went really well. And then I, then I was able to say like, what the, like what happened that ruined the other one? And what, like, why did I let it affect the next two? Like, how is that fair on the next person I was talking to that I was distracted by what had happened? And then I started thinking about that stuff of like, I was getting nervous about interviews um instead of excited about them and i was getting like i was worrying about oh is this going to be received well now when i publish it like is oh are people going to hate it like will it stop people listening or whatever and i think i genuinely think that if that had happened you know like six months ago i could could have been in trouble like i could have been heading towards the rocks with it whereas i think because i've learned like from reading your book and I think as well, like from being married and from seeing my wife exhibit traits that I share with her where I'm like, hang on, you're catastrophizing there a bit. Like, or, you know, like I'm pulling her back from the edge a bit. And then after the dust settles, I'm kind of like, well, fuck, I probably would have said the same thing had I been the one speaking. So, you know, maybe that's something I need to work on. Um, but yeah, I think like when, when you see other people exhibit and it's always the easiest thing to say when someone else has a problem of being like, well, you should do this or you should look at it this way. Whereas it's when it's you, it's like, it's, easy yeah, it's like well, nothing works. Dance. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Just just as you were talking, all I was thinking about was I was so anxious about. Oh, maybe that guy thinks I'm an asshole and maybe maybe that's what happened. Maybe he just thinks I'm a dick like and maybe that's why. And maybe the next person will think that as well. And then you, I found myself like you said, like flip-flopping between that episode was shit and it's like worrying about why and then maybe the next one will be and like worrying about why. And, and I think thankfully I spoke to someone who I'm comfortable with and it got me back into the yeah. middle and, you know, well, you might think this is going badly, but I think it's going well. So I'm, I think I'm still in the middle. So, so, it's where, where you're say, so there's three decisions that will determine our lives. Three decisions that will determine our lives. And you're talking about them right now. The first one is, what do we focus on? So are you focusing on the one episode that didn't go well? Hmm. Or are you focusing on the other dozens that like this one that you feel like really good about? The next one is, the next decision is, what's the story you're going to tell yourself about what you're focusing on? So if you're focusing on that one bad one, are you telling yourself the story that, I'm a bad interviewer. Now that's going to lead you down. It's like the decision trees. Hmm. Very different than I'm, gonna, I'm not going to focus on that bad one. I'm going to focus on all the other good ones. When you focus on all the other good ones, you don't even have that choice of I'm a bad interviewer. Hmm. So what are we focusing on? And this is where it comes into are you an optimist? Are you a pessimist? Are you a realist? You know, is the glass, you know, is you see opportunities, you see obstacles. And then from there, what's the meaning you're assigning to that? Decision number two, what's the story you're telling yourself? And then number three is, what actions are you going to take based off of that story? So you can imagine yourself if you really just focused in the only thing which you had a two-week experience with or two-guest experience with about that kind of honed in on that went really poorly, that that. Uh, that's not a good podcast. That's not a good podcast. And it lasted for, carried you through for two more episodes. If you continue to focus on that, continue to tell yourself that story, chances are you're going to stop doing podcasts. This is the framework that decides our lives. Now, if instead 
that bad episode happens and you go, yeah, I'm doing podcasts. There's going to be bad ones for sure. He had a bad day, led to me. Maybe I didn't, maybe I was a little bit more um, reactionary than I should have been. And I should have just kind of um, let that flow out of me. It's not on me, it's on them. And I'm going to get right back to it. Cool. And then you focus on what's the meaning you assigned to that. Well, I respond well to adversity. I can deal with a bad guest. There's going to be a bad guest. That one's done. Next, closer, one step closer to the next awesome episode. Cool. Podcasts are dope. I'm a good interviewer. I'm prepared for these things. I, now it's like this totally different, I kick ass with podcasts. I should go and like reach out to more sponsors. I should blow this thing up. And now you have this totally different end state. It's kind of like the game, like that Plinko game where the yeah, thing yeah. goes down and, and it rattles across all these different decision points. There's three decisions that just dictate where we end up. Think about from any aspect of when you're a kid doing sports. And maybe that one parent, peer, or coach is like, you suck. Well, if you focus on that, all of a sudden, where's that going to end up with the story you assign to it and the decisions you take versus focusing on something the exact opposite, where a peer, a, um, or even the same thing happens. It doesn't have to be a different experience. And you assign a different meaning to that you don't focus, you, you go, that person, okay, that person's having a bad day and you just brush it off. Mm. And now you, all of a sudden you end up in a completely different place. Yeah. Um, you, we spoke there about Chandler uh, coming in <clears throat> and I know he's been like at your house and, you know, like spend time with your family and stuff. And that seems to be the common, common thread with the, the, the say elite, Comtrain athletes is that they kind of become ingratiated into the, you know, it's like an inner circle, I suppose. Um, and like obviously a new athlete coming in, like I know, say Amanda moving up and Samuel moving up and Chandler moving up and joining, I suppose. We talked about how you have to be careful with that kind of change, but obviously some changes maybe less in your control. Like say when like Harry left, Brooke left, Catherine left, like Samuel left. Is that those? Is that where that framing thing really comes in? Where you, you know, like if someone comes to you and says, "Okay, I'm leaving," and you're like, "Oh shit!" Like I thought we were building something, or I thought, you know, like or say, Catherine's been around since day dot. So, like, I suppose first I wanted to ask, like, would you would you have considered yourself friends with all those names I've just said that have left? Like, were they like were they in that kind of inner circle? Yes. 100%, so then is, is there, yes. So obviously as a coach, then you're like, okay, I need to reframe this or I need to, you know, like you, 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 you need to think about it for your own professional life. You need to think about it in a certain way so that you don't head towards the rocks in, in that sense. But then as like, just Ben, like, do you have to grieve that? Like, do you have to, like, is it hard not to take it personally? Is it hard not to be like, feel a bit like, you know, I suppose grief stricken yeah. or like that a friend is leaving or something. Yeah. So I think that there's a natural emotional response to most things that happen that don't line up with your expectations. You know, it's a very systematic way of saying that, yeah, you have natural human reactions. And um, whenever I've been told those things, it's like, ah, like you're, you're a friend's moving on. And as much as they go, we'll stay in touch. It's, a, it's the nature of what, any relationship 
um, that was that close is no longer gonna be that close. It's not, you're not gonna be that, you're not gonna be as close. So that's a normal thing. And I try to, uh, frame it in my mind as well as I possibly can. Like, what am I going to focus on, you know, through those decision points? And part of it is you want to take the lessons learned of why is somebody moving on? Um, but then the next is this understanding that we probably don't have as much perspective as well, we'll never have all this perspective. So here it's a, it's a story of the, the wise old farmer, you know, and people probably heard this, but there's a wise old farmer who has a son and the son is out one day tending to their horses and he leaves the gate open and their, their singular horse runs away. And all the village people come up to the wise old farmer and they're like, oh, it's, that's such a bummer. Your son left the gate open. Now you guys don't have a horse. He said, well, we'll see. And then five days later, the horse returns and he brings with it seven other horses. And the village people come up and they're like, that's amazing. You have seven new horses. That's so cool. His response is, we'll see. A week later, the son is out trying to tame one of the wild horses. And the horse bucks him off and he breaks his leg. And the village people come running up again and they say, that's so terrible that your son broke his leg. And he said, we'll see. A week later, the village is attacked and they go to war and the military comes house to house recruiting young men. And when they come to the house, they have to bypass the son because he has a broken leg and he can't go out to battle. And the message is we don't have enough perspective right now in the moment to know if any of these things are actually good or bad. So as much as Katrin was honestly, without any exaggeration, probably my best friend when she left. Like she was, I consider her as close as anybody I've ever been with in my life, honestly, um, from a friendship perspective. She lived with us for years. Um, and I had been her coach for, you know, half of a decade. Um, we've been through all sorts of ups and downs along the way. But I don't have enough perspective to know in that moment whether her moving back to Iceland is a good or bad thing for my life. And what most people do is get so wrapped up in the son leaving the gate open and then so excited about the horse coming back. And that sounds like, okay, but like that's just life. You have ups and downs and emotions. What we should all be striving for, in my opinion, is to be more centered and more balanced. And not have the pendulum swing all the way to one side and then all the way to the other side. It can swing and it should swing. But we don't need these massive tides of it going all the way to one side where you're, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy over the moon to just then be shattered and decimated later on. This is to me is what chasing excellence is about. It's about finding the center and finding the balance of our lives. And when we do this, we then can push our efforts towards our best selves over the course of our life, knowing that there's going to be things that we can't reason, we don't understand. There's so much, there's so little, so little we truly understand. It's, I mean, we just don't know a lot. <laughs> and for us to like say assign meaning to Katrin moving back to Iceland to be with her family is. A, a devastating life moment 
I just don't see that as a productive story to be telling, especially when we don't know if it's true or not. Hmm. Maybe that opens up a whole bunch of different opportunities for her and for me. We just don't know. Um, speaking of new opportunities, so I've noticed, say, Emma and Sydney are, they're like, about 19 and 22, is it around there somewhere? Or yeah. 19, yep. 21? Yeah, I think you got it. Um, how long, how, how long would you say that you've been an elite uh, athlete coach, as in like, uh, like 10 years, 12 years? As in I've, been like, co- I've been coaching people at the CrossFit Games since 2009. Okay. So that's, uh, we're going on year 13. 13, yep. And when you see people like them coming in, like essentially children, <laughs> and they're, because I know you coached her, you coached Emma anyway, when she was like a, in the teenage division or whatever. Like, are you daunted by the fact that like, oh my God, can I do this for another? Like, because obviously they they potentially have 12, 13, 14 years in the sport. So I know you talk about like living in the moment and not being anxious about the future and stuff. But even when you say, think about your career or your longevity as a coach or you're like, how long do I want to do this for? Is this something that I want to do forever? Is this something like, are the, like when these are starting now, do I really want to get involved with like a 19 year old who's like, you know, heading into the elite? Like, do I, should I pass this on to someone else? Like, do you think about those kind of things? Do you plan in that way? Um, I do. I think about the future a lot. Um, mostly cause I enjoy it. I enjoy thinking about the future. I, it's one of the, um, so, and when I do, I, I don't know if I'll be coaching games athletes in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's why I, I don't think it's the right thing to write, make 10 year goals. I think it's worthwhile. To, and I talk about this in the book, long-term things should just be visions. They should be pictures of what it is that you're trying to create, but it's not something that you're actually, um, uh, cause you need a North star. You need a, something that you're actually going to steer towards but it's not a, um, an actual destination. You can just kind of like, if you're going towards North star, it doesn't really matter if you go off course by even a mile or two, because you're still heading in the right direction. What you don't want to do is go 180 degrees in the wrong direction. And as long as you have that North star, which is I, in 10 years, I, I feel like I'm still gonna be very involved in this CrossFit, um, lifestyles, coaching, sport, um, giving people access to healthier versions of themselves. So this is right in line with, I want to do forever, whether I'll be coaching elite athletes at that point, I have no idea. Um, so I'm not going to make any decisions now based off of, again, unknowns. Mm. Um, I know that I want to work with them, um, this year. So we're working with them and giving them everything we got for this year. And then when it happens next year, we'll have more information and we'll kind of work for towards next year and then the next year and the next year. Mm-hmm. But every year is very, I think this is one of the things that people don't recognize um, in athletics um, until you're in a coaching position or you're in the same organization for a long time. Every year is so different. It is so different from the athletes that we're working with to even the schedule we're going with on a daily basis. Like it all changes every year. 
And it has to. Some years, the Open is in February. Some mm-hmm. year, One year, it was in the fall. Some years, it matters a ton because if you're not in the top 20, top 40, you don't go to regionals. Other years, it doesn't matter. at So every year is very different. Some years, you're working with athletes that are later in their career. Other years, you're working with athletes that are early in their career. Some years, they're all in-house. Other years, you have one athlete in-house. Other years, you have a team and the other – it's all so different. And even with the you know, the seven years or whatever it was I worked with Katrin, every one of those years was very different. Yeah. So it's – we're not going to um, make decisions based off of where Emma's going to be when she's 27 for right now. Um, we're just going to do it and kind of lean into this season as much as we possibly can. Also setting up for her career. So we're not going to this year blindly. We're saying – Okay, she's probably going to have a 10-year run at this thing, if not more. What does that 10-year run look like, assuming that we're going to be a part of this thing for the long haul? Hmm. Um, the, the goal, obviously, is to – like the ultimate goal is for an athlete is to win the CrossFit Games and for the coaches to help the athlete win the CrossFit Games. And I was curious, like where does a lack of success become a failure? Like is there a line of – you know, are you looking, say if you don't win the games or if the athlete doesn't win the games, are you looking for individual successes with like smaller successes within that to to take away and then things to build on? Or is there a time where it just becomes like, okay, no, we actually just failed like this year? Yeah. So it's a great question. Um, it basically, line, it, it, the answer to the question is because only one, <laughs> I don't think people realize this. It's so funny when you say it a lot, but like one athlete's out of 7.2 billion wins the CrossFit games for the, or I should say two athletes, guy and a girl. So two out of 7.2 billion win the CrossFit games. Okay. Let's do it. Other people that signed up one out of half of a million people two two people out of half a million. So to have, yes, that is the goal. And yes, that's what we're striving to do. But to say anything short of that is a failure is unfair to the athletes is really what it is. It's unfair to the coaches, it's unfair to an organization. So then it becomes, okay, what is success and what is failure? And to me, it comes down to really two things. The first one is at the end of the year, can you look back and look in the mirror and say, I am completely, completely satisfied with the effort, the focus, the preparation, and the execution I put into giving my very best this year? And if the answer to that is yes, I think it's hard to be disappointed. And just to play that out, there's been years when we've said no to that. Hmm. There has been. And then the second piece is, there is always, as much as you try not to, there is subconscious, maybe conscious, expectations of where you think your athletes should end up. And this is truly what dictates people's happiness. If you are a rookie, your first time ever being there, you just snuck in to the games. Like you were at at the semifinals, you were the fifth qualifying spot, your rookie year, and you only made it in by one point because the last event. So you just snuck in. And then at the games, 
you finished fifth place overall, I, I promise you 99.99999% of every athlete is going to be ecstatic with that performance. But if Tia finishes fifth place this year, I can promise you she's going to be disappointed. And that's simply because of expectations. Hmm. So that the saying is that um, expectations minus reality equals your happiness. And that's how basically you can kind of line that up. And people have expectations, whether they voice them or not, whether it's secretive or it's public, whether it's their expectations, the media's expectations, or anybody else's, people have an idea of where they think they should end up that year. And that really has a lot to bear on what people think a successful year or an unsuccessful year looks like. Hmm. Um, well, look, we'll finish up with a quick fire. I'm conscious of that we've been here like for three days now. Um, uh, so they're all, well, most of them are either or, um, so ski or row ski, um, snatch or clean, clean coach, individual or team individual, um, regionals or semis, semis, uh, dumbbell or barbell dumbbell. Okay. The last two were kind of hard. Um, best coach outside of Boston. So in CrossFit. Oh, I was going to answer outside of CrossFit. Uh, I'll go uh, Adam Neifer. Okay, yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. There's a lot of good ones around. And I think we talked about it, the Instagram thing and everything. I think there's a lot of good ones around and they're getting a lot more notice or like time, which I think is yeah. cool as well. I think Adam is a... Um, so he's he's done it himself on the he's but he's done it with teams um, mm. he's done it with uh, individuals um, I think people underrate the so Rich has Rich has done it with um, a team and kept but Rich is on the team so that's a huge mm. like that's a huge plus um, Adam was on the team as well but he's no longer a team anymore and he's been on a team that's won the games and they've been in contention so many different years he's also Justin Medeiros's coach. He was a USA coach as well once, wasn't he? Yep, I think, I think he was a coach yeah. for the USA as well. Um, I, he's a and he's an all around like just awesome dude. Yeah, Super I think he humble. he he probably yeah. doesn't get the notice because he's so humble and because he's yeah. so like just happy go lucky and you know he gives off that kind of like yeah it's all great you know like he's kind of probably doesn't get the notice he deserves I think. Yeah. Um, okay, and then dream athlete to coach. Uh, like in the CrossFit space, who would I want yeah. to coach? Yeah. Uh I, I, I'm going to answer this without a name. I'm just going to lay out some bullet points and then maybe you can help me fill it in. Um, they'd be under 23 years old. If it's a guy, he'd be between five foot eight and five foot 10. Um, if it's a girl, she'd be between five foot four and five foot six. If it's a guy, he'd be about 190 pounds. If it's a girl, she'd be about 150 pounds. They'd have a weightlifting, gymnastics, track and field, and uh, let's say basketball background. Um, and um, they would be super, super eager to learn and be coached. And okay. they'd be resilient where they wouldn't get hurt and they would adapt to training well. Meaning there's a lot of people you could put on two athletes on the same training program. One sees amazing results. So Matt Fraser, like when I worked with him, you give him something and all of a sudden like, 
he just like gets so much better so faster. Other athletes don't do that. Like Katrin was actually one of those athletes. She had to work and work and work and work to try to get better at certain things. So adaptability of training and resiliency, meaning that they don't get injured easy. Mm. So whoever that athlete is. I have to look up his height, but it sounds like you're describing uh, James Sprague on the male side. Uh, James is James is a really good dude, but he's too tall. Yeah, I was thinking he's to too fit tall. that. I'm not saying too tall yeah. for the sport. I'm saying too for, tall for your. For yeah, your he's chance. like six yeah. two. He's he's a monster. And I'm not sure. You you just said under twenty two. Is that your only yeah age thing? I'm not sure if she play basketball, but Lucy McGonigal from she's from Ireland, but she's. She, I think she's ticked a lot of the boxes that you've said there. Oh. So maybe keep keep an eye out for her. All right. Um, well, look, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for like giving so much of your time. Thank you as well. I kind of have you in my head of one of about five people who've influenced um, how I'm doing, what I'm doing. Not necessarily like what I ask or who you know that kind of thing, but I just think the kind of aiming at being an amateur professional like i'm like it's never going to pay my mortgage but i want to be professional about what i'm doing and i think i'd have that you know you and patrick i i've had actual conversations with patrick about what am i doing and why um but i think without actually talking to you i think you're responsible for a bit of as well one the most recent is the the um bhag was i think that you're in in you're unlocking potentially you mentioned the the big hairy audacious goal um and yeah i think i i wrote a few down at the start of the year and this was one of them and i think they're coming true um so yeah i mean there are some properly fucking audacious ones that are you know (laughs) we might never get to but we'll aim for them um so yeah thank you and best of luck with the season best of luck to all your athletes and best of luck to the new um you know the refocusing of comp train and everything under that umbrella as well Appreciate it, yeah. Thanks for having me. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.